Praise the Lord, youth. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 13 verses in chapter 10, so please follow along. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart who shall ascend unto heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith the word is nigh thee? Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto, that, um, unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, I know there's a lot of theologians here and um, guys who read, who study, girls, who, sisters who read, brothers and sisters. Sorry for my slang. I have a question for you. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the children of God. Um, when I read scripture, I try to analyze in a way. I do two things. I try almost, I would say 99% of the time when I read scripture, I say, Lord, open up what I'm going to read. And why are you saying this? Why are you telling me this? Why is it written the way it is? I ask a lot of whys. I thank God that he's loving kindness and he's patient because if I were God, I'd be annoyed of me. I ask why. Why did he write this, blessed are the peacemakers? And before you can answer that, who are the peacemakers? What is a peacemaker? Because here's the thing. You, you look at anything. You look at like... Miss Universe, uh, the schools, the awards, the presidents, the, the leaders, uh, United Nations, NATO, uh, any pact, any treaty, uh, anything you see like that. The whole goal of the whole world is to bring what to this world? Peace. Has it ever been accomplished? No. Ever. Since Cain and Abel. And I'm sure Adam and Eve have gotten some marital arguments too there has never been peace to this day ever so what peace is he talking about because here's the honest truth when I became a Christian when I became born again it did not bring peace in my life as far as a physical carnal thing I lost almost all the people I've ever been associated with I lost contact with certain family members 
It brought more division in my life than it brought peace. Not because of who I am or what I am. Uh, because of what I had to stand for as a born-again believer. I would say 99% of you came from a uh, Slavic culture or Slavic background. The church is Slavic. Go ask your grandparents what kind of peace they had to go through in the Soviet Union. So what peace are we talking about? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Have you ever thought about that? The peace that this is talking about, at least from my interpretation, at least from my understanding, is the peace in our hearts, in our lives. Why I say this is the only time I've ever received peace in my life was nine and a half years ago when I accepted Jesus Christ in my life as a born-again believer. Before that, I have never had peace. And I'm here to tell you, you will never ever, ever have peace in your life until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ever. Right now, you're young. It's probably pretty easy. You don't have that many problems or anything. But I promise you, the older you get, the more responsibilities, the more problems you have, you will never, ever have peace in your life. Being a peacemaker is a born-again believer who preaches the gospel. And today's topic, what we're going to talk about today is salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a child of God? Because I, with our youth, I've gotten to a point, and I thank God for it, that my youth, um, how can I say this, is not ashamed to say no. For example, when I look at my youth and I say, are you a born-again believer? They are okay at looking at me and saying, no, I'm not. They're just not going to run with the crowd. They're not going to run with whoever's doing whatever's doing it. Because right now, if I ask you to raise your hand if you're a born-again believer, I, I believe everyone, even if you're not born again, even if you're living in filth and sin, you're going to raise your hand because of what the crowd's raising their hand. So my question is to make you doubt your salvation today more. That's the motive, the desire, to make you question it. Because I learned in my life, the more I questioned God, the more I was sincere, the more he was faithful, the better he answered me. So today I want to question you. I want to ask you, are you a born-again believer? Have you solved the question of salvation in your life? Think about that. That's going to be the most important question you ever answer in your life. I felt like if it was money, Jesus would have came as a banker probably. Or entrepreneur. If it was peace, he would have came like peace between nations and people. He would have came like an ambassador or a mediator. Christ came to this world to be a savior because we need salvation. Amen? And today we're going to cover that, what salvation is, what it should mean in your life. We're going to be reading, we're going to cover three topics with uh, verses 8, 9, 10, and 13. Okay, first, first point is it's not an almost science or it's not an almost salvation. Second is full surrender. And third, what Jesus did matters. So almost surrender Jesus. That's how I, I'm going to remember it. Almost surrender Jesus. It's not an almost salvation or a science. Full surrender. What Jesus did matters. It's not an almost science. I'm going to read verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Nigh interpreted is near thee. The word is near thee. 
Think of what it's going to say. The word is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Who has ever, and this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer uh, your hand. Who has ever walked out um, to the pulpit, felt so bad, cried everything they had to cry out, said they're going to change their life for Jesus and go home and nothing ever happened? Done it a hundred times. I remember I went out one time in an altar call. I cried so hard my stomach hurt for three days. I wept like a blubbering baby. I got in the car and I said, Lord, I'm changing everything in my life. I'm changing it for you. Two weeks later, I was back in the filth and the sin of my life. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Salvation was so close. It was in my heart, in my mouth. I confessed, I cried. It was there, but nothing changed in my life. Think about that. Why? What's the difference between that and that? Why is it that? The main reason I realize it's in my life is because when we come to the altar, when we come before Christ, I just want a mental picture. There's a table in front of you. Christ is on this side, and I'm on this side. And this is called a negotiation table. Here's an interesting question. What can you bring to the negotiation table? What can you offer? The truth of the matter, nothing. All you can offer is sin. Now, I'm not talking about serving fruit, growing, sanctification. I'm talking about salvation. All you can offer is your filth, your rebelliousness. Your jealousy, your lying, your stealing, pornography, uh, gossip, all your evil, all your anger, all your violence. That is all that you bring to the negotiation table. Is that. You can bring nothing else. I used to say, Lord, I'm here to commit my life to you. And then I realized, what in the world do I have to commit? Nothing. Negative. When I come to the negotiations, I wish I came on a clean slate. That would look a lot better. But the truth of the matter is, we have nothing to offer when we come to that. The problem we have is we think we do. Lord, I was at service. I preached. I served. I did this. That means nothing. It is, uh, Paul calls it, I count it all as loss. You have to realize who you really are before you come to, the, to the, the altar, towards salvation, towards Christ, towards the negotiation table. The problem is we don't know. We don't realize that. The best way I can expect, explain this picture is I have three children. Absolutely wonderful children. They're great. But some of them still wear diapers. I hate changing diapers. Who's ever changed a diaper? Not the number one, the number two. It stinks. It's disgusting. I love them, but I can't do it. I, I honestly, I would say 99% of them, God bless my wife, did, has done them and will do them. I won't do it. But the truth of the matter is, when you come to the negotiation table, you are that diaper. And that's a compliment. If I had to go in detail, they would never let me preach again of who we really are. I'm trying to paint a picture in your head. You know, and I, I love this... Um, 
saying because I realize when you preach the gospel and you're firm in what you believe, people will talk bad about you. People will talk ill about you. It was Charles Spurgeon. He said, if people talk ill of you, rejoice because they really don't know how evil you are. They don't know how evil we are. We have to understand when full surrender comes to Jesus Christ, we have to come as who we are because the truth of the matter is he sees who you are. You can't hide that from him. You might hide it here. You dress up. You look nice. You sing the songs. You sit with your friends. You sit straight up. But the truth of the matter is God sees you as clear as day and night. And we have to realize that in our hearts, in our minds, in everything, we have to come the way we are. Here's the second point of this. When you come and you realize that, the only thing you can do is surrender. See, salvation is not what we have to offer. Salvation is surrendering what we are and who we are and accepting of who Christ is and what he is. We have to surrender ourselves. If there's one word that describes the process of, of salvation, it's surrender. And I want to read, I'm going to read verse, uh, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart. See, what's interesting, it doesn't say Savior Jesus. It says Lord Jesus. Don't raise your hand. I want to ask you, who wants a Savior in their life? Everybody wants a Savior in their life. Who wants a Lord over their life? Controlling every aspect of your life. Your private life. Your desires, your dreams, your conversations, your friends. Who wants a Lord over their life? You cannot have a Lord in your life until you surrender. Until you realize you have nothing to offer. Jesus Christ will never be your Savior until he could be your Lord. Ever. So when you come to this negotiation table and you offer 95% of your life. Lord, I give you this, but I'm not going to give you video games. I'm not going to give you my friend, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I'm not going to give you my college career, my job, my desires and everything. I'll give you everything but that one thing. There is no salvation. You'll come out here and cry. Every altar call, you will never change. You always go back to that same sin. You'll always backslide. You will come and it will be repetitive for the rest of your life and you will never have peace in your life. Until you give full surrender of all that you have. Until he becomes Lord in your life. Fully. In every aspect, your laziness, your procrastination, your weaknesses, what you're, what you're not good at, what you're embarrassed of, what you're good at. Your talents, your desires, your music, what you watch, who you hang out with, every aspect has to be surrendered. Until that happens, until that happens, you, I don't believe you can be saved. I don't believe you can be completely changed. God, you have to just fully come and surrender. Now, I'm not saying you're going to surrender and everything's going to change in your life. You'll struggle. You will grow. But when you give it up, when you give Christ the opportunity to work in your life, then and only then will you have salvation. Then and only then will you have peace. Because I remember when I was born again, it's not like I just woke up and all my sins were gone. All my troubles were gone. My character was gone. No. That took years and it's going to take years to finally get out of that. That's called sanctification. That's a whole different sermon. I'm just talking about your step and what changes you in your life. Let's go to the next point. Verse 10. Mouth confession is made. 
I'm going to read. For with the heart man believeth righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What's interesting with me, I've gotten to the point, and Dasha really, really spoke on it really well. You can sit down with somebody. I could sit down. I could take you out to lunch. And in an hour, I'm not saying I'm 100% bulletproof, but within an hour, I'll know where your heart stands, and I'll know if you're a born-again believer or not. I sound very, very confident in that. Why? Because when I sit down with you and I talk to you and I talk about your desires, your ambitions, what your heart wants, where you're going, what you, what you see in your life, that will tell me a lot about who you are and who, who the Lord is in your life. That will give me a lot of information of who you are. Because here's the truth of the matter is when you surrender, when you come in contact with the living God, with the living Lord Jesus, he will take control of it. And not only that, he will give you a new heart and a spirit. And when you have a new heart and a spirit, you're going to have new desires and everything in between. I remember, I'll never forget, what I had before I was a believer and what I had after. I used to dream of a... No, honestly, wealth, success. I was on that path. I was getting my master's. I had my degree. I, had a, I was doing everything that I wanted. I was continuing my goal. I, I had this wonderful, good, it was even bad. No evil involved. Family, life. I'll go to church. I'll tithe. I'll come. I'll make sure I sit there for, do my two hours a week. I had everything set up. Everything set up. And when I came in contact with the living God, when I surrendered and made him Lord in my life, Everything changed after that. Everything changed. Everything. There wasn't a stone that God didn't roll over and change in my life. Every desire changed. Every desire changed. I remember I would lay there and I would dream. I would think like daydream. You got, everyone does this. Who doesn't daydream? Amen. Okay, I'm talking to the right crowd. I would daydream that I was a famous football player. I played in stadiums with 50,000 people. I remember it was so loud, we had to hold each other's hands because we couldn't hear the quarterback. So when the ball was snapped, everyone moved and we all moved. I dreamed of that. But when I came in contact with the living God, all that went away. Not because I changed. Not because I became a better Christian or I started doing things. But God put a new heart in my life. My dreams, I would sit there and I would dream about preaching, leading people to the Lord. What I can say, my angles, I would practice with the wall. Hey, how can I come and open up the topic of Christ with my friend, my relatives? How can I be more active in church? I would, that's how big of a loser I was. I would sit there and I'd be like, how can I make my youth more effective for the glory of God? I would dream, I would write, take notes, I would practice things because of who God was in my life. He changed my life. I was ready to confess, profess. I believed in my heart. I, if you talk to me, there's no way to this day, anyone who's been fellowship, no way you can hang out with me for an hour and I'll not bring up this book. No way. Bring up finances. I'll, I'll bring you back in here. Bring up stock market. See how fast I'll get you back in God's word. To the point where I lost all my friends. Because they looked at me as, as if I had nothing to offer them for them. Bring up football. I played football my whole life. Bring up sports. I'll somehow get back into this word. I promise you. I got my angles. Because of who Jesus Christ became in my life. Because I surrendered my life to Jesus nine and a half years ago. I knew I had nothing to offer. I was faking everybody. Everyone thought I was a good guy. Everyone thought I was a smart guy, successful guy. But in my heart, I knew who I was. I couldn't change that. I couldn't cleanse my conscience.
I had no peace in my life. You know, the best example I can give you, and I'm, I'm really big on this. I, I just, I cannot stand it. I cannot stand it when you talk to someone and they say, I've been a Christian my whole life. I just don't believe that. I don't profess it. I don't care what you think. That makes no sense in my life. I had a cousin who passed away, and I, I share this Sunday night. Uh, he, he came from Alaska. He came to visit us in Sarasota, Florida. He bought a motorcycle. Um, went to downtown, and the way our downtowns are made, I don't know if you got, uh, if ever been around there or around here, uh, they're slow roads, small roads with roundabouts. And the speed limit is 25, 30, 35 miles in some parts. He gets on this motorcycle. He starts going down this road. He's going 85 miles an hour. He's never been there before. He doesn't realize there's roundabouts. He doesn't see it until it's too late. He hits that roundabout. The bike ejects my cousin. He goes head first into a cement wall. No helmet. Closed coffin. When you come in contact with the living God, your life will be like that. That wall is God Almighty. Jesus Christ. If you're sitting there today, I don't care if you're active in church. I don't care who your dad is. I really don't care. That doesn't impress me. I don't care what kind of minister or whatever. If you have not had that kind of contact with Jesus Christ, you don't know Jesus Christ. And worst of all, he doesn't know you. You don't know him. You're not saved. You might think you have peace, but you will not have peace, I promise you. It will come back and it will bother you for the rest of your life. Because when you come in contact with the living God, everything in your life changes. Everything. No stone will not be unturned in your life. Everything will be changed. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. I'll tell you one thing. <sighs> Public speaking is not hard. Most people, they say it's the number one fear of period. People would rather go swimming in rattlesnakes than they would public speaking. You know why it's hard? Because you can say or do something up here that will make you shameful. It's embarrassing to be embarrassed. Who's ever had that? Who's afraid of being embarrassed? I have never had that. I thank God I haven't. I've never touched it. It's never felt it. I'm serious. I don't feel embarrassed. If a bird comes and poops in my head right now, I will feel no less, no worse. I'm not kidding you. I've always had it. I don't know why God put it in me. I thank God for it. I'll never forget high school. We're playing a district championship basketball game. Huge game. Packed crowd. Uh, we are like, I went to this rich, white, preppy school. I'm literally the tallest guy on the team. But we were good, you know. We were shifty. We were good. We come into district championship, and these guys are like monsters, you know. Like seven foot with an eight foot wingspan. I'm not exaggerating. I'll never forget we're playing that, man. I'm dribbling the ball up the court, and you hear their coach. If you guys ever play basketball, you understand. And they're like all stand there. And he screams, raise your hands. And they all do this, whoosh. And the court disappears, you know. We get whooped. Whoop, that's the nicest word I can say, but the worst part of it is, and when you're playing games, like if you ever play sports, um, there's no time to think or loathe or like feel bad for yourself. You're just reacting. You're doing this, this, and this. Apparently, I don't remember in the game, I, I literally slipped and I took a nosedive into the court, the wood court, and someone took a close-up shot and it was the front page of the newspaper the next day. 
Venice High School lost districts horribly. And it's my face is like this. It's, it's like literally squished in the, in the court. Uh, you know, I, I saved that. <laughs> I still have that. But I don't have that. But the bottom line is why I'm saying this. It's embarrassing to be embarrassed. It's embarrassing to do public things. It's embarrassing to admit that you have a problem. It's embarrassing to admit you have sin. No, honestly, every man in this, every young man in this room will never raise his hand in front of anybody and say, I have an issue with pornography. Or any girl will not raise her hand and say, I have an issue with insecurity. I'm not happy the way I look, my body, my character, my nose, my whatever it is. You're not going to do it. You're not. I won't do it. <laughs> Even as embarrassing I am, I won't do it. And I had that problem with us. This is why we do an altar call. You ever thought about that, why we do an altar call? Very new, quick history lesson. Dale Moody's the first one to ever do an altar call. Before that, no one ever did altar calls. But why we do altar calls is when you walk out here, not because this place is holy. I think that place and this place are just as holy when it comes to God. But when you come out here, you're saying publicly in front of everyone, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. I realize I'm that dirty diaper and I need a savior. That's it. Every time I do an altar call, I can't, look, I can't help you. I got my own problems. All I can do is when you walk out here is all I can do is pray with you. Pray for you. Cry with you. That's all I can do. We can't help you. I have no remedy, no special pill for you. All I can do is pray with you the same prayer that I pray in my life. I am a sinner and I am in need of you, Lord Jesus. I remember there was a, a story of a... Uh, um, a tent revival, evangelism, and this pastor was giving this analogy, it's just two stories, incredible analogy of altar call and what it means of an altar call. You, I'll tell you from me personally, when you become a preacher, if God calls you, and you'll know when you're called to be a preacher, I can look at the crowd and know if they're in it, I can look at the crowd and see if it's effective, if the Holy Spirit's moving, if they're sleeping, if they don't agree with me, I, I'm good with that. I can see it. And this man's preaching, he's like, look, we do a tent revival. I do an altar call, and I'm looking in the back row. There's a girl back there. She's blubbering, crying. I send one of my assistants to her. The assistant comes up to her and says, you need to come out and confess. You need to come out here and accept Jesus Christ. You need to go to the altar. She looks at him. She's crying. She's like, I can't do that. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do that. They don't force her. They walk back here. Next day, tent revival. It's like a week long. Same exact scenario, same altar call, girl, same girl back there crying. Same guy walks up to her and says, you need to go out, you need to repent. I can't do that. I'm embarrassed. I, someone who knows me here, they're going to think I'm less than this and that. They're going to think I have an issue with this, even though I don't have an issue with this. She, she starts, he leaves her alone. Third day comes along. Same thing, sermon, altar call, same girl, crying her tears out, blubbering. The guy walks up to her and he says, you need to go up front. She looks at him crying. She says, I'm going. I don't care. I don't care what people think. I need to confess my sins. I need to profess who Lord Jesus is in my life. The guy looks at her and says, you don't have to come. You're good back there now. When you get so desperate, so lonely, so embarrassed of yourself, so sick of yourself that you don't care who looks at you, what they think of you, you just want Lord Jesus in your life, that is when salvation will come. That is when Christ will give you a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit, everything that you desire, new ambitions, new love for him, the revelation of word. is when you don't care what people think about you because you know you need a savior. 
you know you need a salvation. Because there's no peace in here. Let's go to the next point. What Jesus did. I'm going to read verse 13. For whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Here's a trick question. It is a trick question, theological trick question. How many times do you have to repent to be saved? Okay, I'll ask you this way. It's a trick question, so be ready. Does salvation come in the first repentance or in the 5,000th repentance? Neither. If you repent every day, every hour for the rest of your life, you will never make it to heaven. Because your repentance is not what saves you. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who does. Salvation comes not on repentance. Salvation comes on calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is when you feel bad of what you did. And that's good. I repent daily of my sins. I repent daily of my lack of inspiration, my, my, my laziness, my procrastination, not having enough patience. I repent daily. But I know what my salvation is and where my salvation is. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in who he is and what he did. Not who I am and not what I did. See, you probably came out here before and you felt really bad for who you were, what you did, and you cried your heart out. But did you really accept and profess who Jesus Christ is in your life? Or did you come out here and say, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I won't do that again. Salvation is in what he does. See, in heaven, that's the thing. A lot of people believe that you'll be saved once you get to heaven. That's not the truth. My salvation is not because Ilya is going to lose his body, get a new, awesome, very tall body, whatever it is in heaven I'm going to get. It is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is as effective as it is right now, and it's going to be in a trillion years in heaven. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where your salvation lies. We're going to go into prayer in about five minutes. And I want to discover the three things we talked about. Almost being saved, surrender, and Jesus Christ. What he did. Um, I had a, I'm not a doomsday prepper. I'm not this, I don't see, I don't, I, I really, to be honest, I'm, I don't care so much for the end of times as much. To be honest, the only thing I'm looking forward to surviving the end of times is that I get lifted up in the air. <laughs> You know, just to feel that leaving my body, the G-force, whatever it's going to be. I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be some feeling. Like seeing my body there and I'm leaving. What's up? You know, like getting my new body. I, just to, to be alive, to go through that from the flesh to the spirit, I think it's going to be a pretty cool experience. So if God wills it, I could probably go through that. But here's the matter of fact and the truth of it. We are going to see that. I might be wrong, but I'm getting pretty confident. I'll tell you right now, we are the generation that is going to see that. Think about what happened in the last six months. Our lives will never go back to how it was before that. Ever. Ever. I had an incident. It's personal, guys. It's, I'm sharing this to you so, so you can paint a picture in your heart, in your life, okay? There's a prophet from your church that I take incredibly seriously. To me, 
I don't think there's a higher prophet. Not by holier or better, but he, to me, he's been tested, tried, and he's true. He's a real prophet. This guy, what he says, what he said in my life, I, I've been in prayers with him for about five years. At least 50 times he said things that came into fruition. I remember one time, two-minute story, sidetrack, just to prove to you that this guy is the real, the real deal. All right? I'm going to prayer. I go to a prayer Saturdays from 10 to, uh, like 10 to 12. It's a men's prayer. I need a vacuum for my house, and I don't like cheap stuff. I like the nicest of the nicest. I just don't pay retail. I love offer up. It's a sin of mine. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, I meet this guy. I'm buying a Dyson handheld uh, uh, cordless uh, vacuum. It's $500 retail. It's the top of the line. Uh, it's a V8 animal, blah, 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 with all the extensions and all the extra plugins and extra batteries and whatnot. 500 bucks retail. I meet him, $140, brand new in box. I always ask that question for conscience sake. I'm looking at him. He doesn't look like he goes to church. You know, he doesn't look like a model citizen. I said, is this stolen? He looks at me. He says, I didn't steal it. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, no. You know, I already gave the money. I'm driving to prayer with this vacuum in my car. It's stolen. It's a hot vacuum. And it's not even turned on yet. I get to prayer. For two hours, I'm praying. Prayer is wonderful. But the only thing I can think about is that horrible, wretched vacuum. Horrible, wretched vacuum. What this prophet does is he, he asks for needs. And you say those needs and he'll answer. He's like, this is what God said or this is the vision I saw. It comes to needs. I'm still thinking. I haven't stopped thinking about the last thing I'm going to do is ask about that vacuum. I said, I'm not asking nothing, Lord. I don't even want to know what you want to say. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to go home. My conscience is semi-clear. I'm taking this vacuum. I got a great deal. I'm not saying nothing. Prayer is over. Slava Bohu. The guy's looking right at me. I'm like, no. He says, come here. This is what God has to say. He looks at me literally word for word. If you want to build your house in the way you think you're going to build it, you're going to watch it crumble down. If you want to do it in the way God wants it, you're going to see it being built up. He knew I had a hot vacuum in my car. Why I'm sharing this with you guys. For five years, this man was so individual, so encouraging. Until a couple weeks ago, he had, we were at a prayer. I've never, you know, there's that, that typical uh, prophet that comes up, and the, the end is near, repent and be baptized. You know, everyone's heard that. This is the first time in five years I heard him get up and say, the times are here. If you don't humble yourself, if you don't walk with God, if you are not prepared, you will not get through. All three prayers. Here's the truth of the matter is, if you're sitting there and you think you're saved, you're 99% saved, you hope you're saved, you, you, you serve so you're saved, you will not get through, the, through these times. Two types of Christians. You're either going to carry someone or someone's going to have to carry you. I remember I was talking to a girl, she's dating a guy, he's not Christian, she hopes she's going to save him, she hopes she's going to marry him. And I look at her and I said, are you going to the gym? She's like, what do you mean gym? Are you working out your back? Why my back? Because you're going to be carrying this dude your whole life. So you can sit there right now, somebody's going to have to drag you, carry you, because you can't carry yourself. Or you come to the feet of Jesus, he will give you a new heart, he will give you a new spirit, and you can carry someone else. At least yourself. There is no way, no way that if you're sitting there right now, you're not even confident in your salvation. How in the world are you going to get through with hard times? Now think about it. Think about our generation. Look at me. I have never had a day of hunger in my life unless I fasted and I made myself. 
And that wasn't even that bad. Ask yourself, have you even went through a day of hunger in your life? What about persecution? What persecution? The only persecution you got is a long, boring sermon. That is the hardest persecution we went through. Me too. I've never felt a day in my life of hardship. That's our generation. If you're not born again, if you're not walking in the spirit, if Christ is not Lord in your life, how in the world are you going to walk through? How in the world are you going to get past the hard times? And they're here. I know all you guys like your conspiracies and watch that stuff. The times are here. They're near. If you have not called on the Lord Jesus, you repented. Everyone repents. I repent daily. If you have not called on the Lord Jesus, you are not saved. If you have not come thinking who you are and what you really are, if you have not surrendered your life, if you are embarrassed, if you're sitting there, I know the Holy Spirit speaking this. I know. I can see it on your faces. I know there are people in this room and he is tugging at your heart. And if you're sitting there and you're embarrassed and you don't want to walk out, that's on you. That's on you. But it says here, if you, what was that verse? I'm so sorry. I'm going to read it one more time. I just want that last verse and then we're going to go into prayer. Let's stand up. Verse 11, if you can put it up. 10, 11. For the scriptures saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There are people in this room who don't know Christ. You don't know them. You have your own dreams. You have your own life. You have your own ambitions. You have your own worries. The last thing you're worried about is what Jesus Christ is worried about. You have a chance to come out today. I already did half the job for you. You already stood up. Can you imagine if I made you go on the knees and everyone watched you walk up? I already did half of it for you. If you want to come out here, uh, not because you feel bad, not because you have a problem with sin, uh, insecurity, pornography, because you want a Lord and Savior in your life. You want him to be Lord of everything in your life, every aspect. If you're going to come out here and you think you're just going to give up school and church and friends, but you're going to hold on to your video games, what you watch on YouTube, what you, what you do or however, don't come up here. I don't care if no one comes out here. The only people I want to come out here is if you're willing to give 100% surrender of your life. Not only Savior, but Lord of your life. If you want to come out here, you want to accept Jesus Christ. If you want to come out here and admit who you are, you are not ashamed of the gospel. You are not ashamed of who Lord Jesus is. Come out here. Come out. Start coming out. We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. I have done this many times, but until I came out and I accepted who Lord Jesus is in my life, nothing changed. Come out here. You guys can take a knee. We'll pray with you. Come out here. Don't be ashamed. Listen, there's going to be a time where he's going to be ashamed of you. Let's pray. Raise your voices up.